I stood on a dark road on the north side of the ship canal that wound like a lazy snake off Puget Sound. Wind coming off the water stripped another twenty degrees from a night that was already below freezing. No homeless in the little park across the canal tonight. They knew better. Stay in one place too long and this cold would kill you. The road was empty, normal for midnight on a Saturday, but the place might have been just as quiet at noon. Across the road from me was a row of small warehouses lining the canal. A few of the warehouses boasted unbroken windows and exterior lights, weak 60-watt dots that barely cracked the gloom. Most of the business owners had given up and boarded up, a neighborhood on the final and fastest part of its downslope. One feeble lamp dusted specks of light over black letters painted five feet high on the warehouse nearest me. After a decade or two of erosion by rain and wind, the words were barely visible on the cracked wood siding. Lonergan Repair LLC. Nobody in sight, but lots of cars. Not all grouped out in front of the Lonergan building, nothing that obvious, but parked here and there along the road and on the side streets were Camaros and Beamer 6 convertibles and higher-end Toyotas with aftermarket racing gear. I'd marked the cars when I'd circled around getting a feel for the place. Cars for young guys, guys with money to burn. The resale value of my old blue Dodge pickup wouldn't buy a set of rims for most of them. There was one guard watching me from the driver's seat of a Ford excursion 30 yards up the road. I couldn't see him, but I could hear the Ford's engine, so he could keep the heater going. My cell phone showed no signal here. Not surprising. There would be no calling ahead to announce my arrival. I walked across the road and up to the warehouse and around the side of the building toward the water. My breath made visible puffs in the air. The leather of my hiking boots creaked. I'd bought them when I'd returned home to Seattle to stay less than a month before and they weren't completely broken in. The back of the warehouse faced the canal. On the loading dock, six steps up from the pavement, the big metal rolling door was down. Light shone from underneath, where the rubber stripping was cracked with age. I could hear the faint sound of many voices inside blended together. At the far side of the dock was a human-sized door, also closed. A man leaned against it, smoking a cigarette, looking at me. With only the dim light coming across the water, neither of us could see each other clearly. He had a walkie-talkie to his ear, maybe complaining about the cold to his partner who was warm and cozy in the excursion. I walked up the steps and across the loading dock. Willard called me, I said. He glanced down at the bleach-stained Mariner sweatshirt I was wearing. My grandfather's, now mine. I'd inherited it along with almost all of Dono's otherworldly goods ten months ago, the last time I was in Seattle. But I still tended to think of the house and everything inside of it as his. What's your name? The guard asked. He was a beefy guy, about two bucks and change and taller than me. He'd weighed closer to 190 when he'd bought his black sport coat. His biceps and shoulders strained the fabric. Maybe it was intentional. Get Willard, I said, stepping a little closer. The guard's eyes caught the scars on my face, held there. His jaw went a little slack. Okay, chief, he said. I know who you mean. Stay right here. He knocked twice on the door, his eyes still on me, and it opened a crack. He went in. Light flooded out onto the dock and I caught a glimpse of a slim girl lifting a tray of drinks from a bar 
and another guard in another black sport coat glowering at me before the door closed. When it opened, light didn't come booming out again. There was no room for it, not around Will Willard. Willard was one of the largest men I'd ever known. It wasn't just his height or weight. He was massive, like a granite block from a quarry cut to man shape and set loose. Get in here, he said. His voice had come from the same pit, pieces smashed to gravel and turned over and over in a concrete mixer. I followed him into the bright interior of the warehouse, the light provided by dozens of work lamps and the occasional tiki torch. Half a dozen circular tables covered in green felt were set up around the broad room. Six or eight men sat at each, playing cards. Each table had a dealer and a wooden shoe from which the dealers swept cards across the felt. All of the dealers were female, dressed in black blouses and short black skirts. All of them looked attractive from where I was standing.